I will put my trust in you, Lord. I will put my trust in you. Our scripture that was read came from Paul's letter to the Roman church, the third chapter and the ninth to the 20th verses. But I want to lift up the 19th through the 20th verses. It says, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. To help frame this message this morning, I want to tell you a story. It goes this way. There was a mouse that looked through the crack of a wall in a house, and he saw the farmer and his wife opening a package. The mouse thought to himself, what food could this be? But he was devastated when he saw that the package contained a mouse trap. He retreated to the farmyard and went out into the barn and shouted to all the animals in the barn, there's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. The chicken clucked and said, I can see that you are concerned about this, Mr. Mouse, but it is of no concern to me. The mouse ran to the pig and shouted, there's a mouse trap in the house. The pig said, too bad, Mr. Mouse, but it's not of any concern to me. The mouse ran to the cow and said, there's a mouse trap in the house. The cow said, I can see your concern, but I'm sorry, Mr. Mouse, it's no skin off my nose. The little mouse went back very sad to face the mouse trap all by himself. That night, there was the sound of the trap clapping, catching its prey. The farmer's wife rushed to see what had been caught in it. And in the dark, she did not see that the trap had actually captured the tail of a snake. And the snake bit the farmer's wife. And the farmer's wife developed a terrible, terrible fever. Now, as you know, when folks have fever, one of the great remedies is chicken soup. And so the farmer went to the barn and got the main ingredient, which was the chicken. The wife's illness continued, and many people came by to visit her to see how she was doing, and the farmer, needing to feed them all, went back to the barn and found the pig, slaughtered the pig to make a meal for all those that have come. Unfortunately, the farmer's wife passed away. And there was a large funeral with all people from all over the county coming to pay their respects. And needing to be fed, the farmer once again went to the barn and got this time, he got the cow. The moral of the story is quite simply that when one of us is threatened, all of us are threatened. Each of us, our problems are in fact concerns of everyone else, whether you believe it to be so or not. But the thing that I want us to look at in the story 
And while that moral is definitely what the story is about, I actually want to look at it from another perspective, which is actually the perspective of the farmer and the trap. You see, the farmer, in setting the trap, did not anticipate that what he set out to do would backfire in a most devastating way. While he thought to use the trap to kill the mouse, he failed to see that the mouse trap would end up being his own undoing. Beloved, be very careful of the kinds of traps that you set, that you may think is for one group of people or one thing, when it actually may bring you harm to your own household. Furthermore, if after traps have been laid by others, you must heed the warnings of those who understand the nature of traps when they come around screaming, there's a mouse trap in the house. So today, as we continue to see the continuing protests across this nation and experience the tragic impacts of COVID-19 and COVID-45, I want us to look at this mouse trap this morning as a metaphor for a message that I have aptly titled Law and Order with the subtitle Special Victims Unit. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have come now to the preaching hour. Spirit of the living God, now use me as your instrument to deliver a word that is right on time and in season for such a time as this. Speak, Spirit of the living God, for our hearts are tuned to you now, and we need to hear a word from you. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the criminal justice system, sexually based offenses are considered especially heinous. In New York City, the dedicated detectives who investigate these vicious felonies are members of an elite squad called the Special Victims Unit. These are their stories. You are all quite familiar with that introduction of the television series Law and Order SVU. It is one of the more popular television programs that feature the inner workings of NYPD detectives who are tasked with investigating crimes that can be very, very difficult to prosecute, especially those that depend on not only having real evidence, but also require the participation of the victims. You see, unless the victims are willing to publicly disclose their very embarrassing experiences, it is almost impossible to disprove a consensual interaction. In other words, justice may not be achieved unless the special victims participate. The term law and order are two words that have very different meanings. The word law refers to a rule or a directive which is laid down according to the constitution and legislations of a particular country or community. In short, what it means is that there are established guidelines for how one should conduct themselves in public and within society. To disobey or go against those guidelines is to break 
the law. This term, of course, finding its origins when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of stone, with the Ten Commandments, the law, and he broke those tablets of stone for the people had disobeyed God. That's where the term breaking the law comes from. So law, in a nutshell, is a system of rules which a particular country, community, or society recognizes as the actions of its members which it may enforce by the imposition of penalties. Order, on the other hand, is the state of peace and discipline in which citizens interact with each other without any conflicts. It is generally an authoritative direction or instruction to do something according to a particular sequence, pattern, or method. In essence, it is the way to behave. So when the two words come together, law and order, when those two words come together, it literally means enforcement according to a particular method that will result in the strict adherence to society's established guidelines. What I want you to understand is that laws are rules and order is the method. So when they both go together, we're talking about enforcing the rules, which said another way is compliance by force. It was law and order when we saw Africans were enslaved, whipped, and scourged during the 16th and the 19th centuries. It was law and order when blacks were lynched during the Reconstruction and Jim Crow era. They were following their laws. It was law and order when blacks were drenched with water hoses, beaten with sticks, and bitten by police dogs. It was law and order. It was law and order when Marcus Garvey and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. were surveilled illegally, illegally and labeled as communists. Yes, it was law and order. It was law and order when we see blacks making up only 13% of this population, but, but, but covering almost 30, over 30% 30 of the incarcerated rates in these United States. It's law and order. It, it's law and order when you see blacks serving longer sentences for nonviolent crimes, even though every other community is charged with, with, with doing the same offense but not serving the same time. It's law and order. It's law and order when blacks are being racially profiled with policies such as stop and frisk. It was law and order when Sandra Bland and Freddie Gray died in police custody. It's law and order when George Floyd was subdued and ultimately killed with the knee to his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And guess what? It is law and order when they state, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. That's law and order. And what I want you to understand is that it is still law and order when we see and continue to see no convictions for police misconduct, brutality, and yes, murder. All of what I've just expressed is law and order. That's what law, or, law and order looks like when it is enforced. It disproportionately affects black people, and it is wrong. And just to be clear, the American justice system is not blind, for it peaks under the blindfold and tips the scale in favor of those that do not look like you and me. So what is the implication of this law and order rhetoric, Pastor? Well, 
What you need to know is that COVID-45, also known as Donald Duck, I mean Donald Trump, has declared himself our president of law and order. This he did during remarks that he made as peaceful protesters outside the White House gates were dispersed with tear gas and flashbangs. He further remarked, and I'm telling the truth, he further remarked that his first and highest duty as president, I'm quoting, is to defend our great country and the American people. He also stated, I swore an oath to uphold, here it is, the laws of our nation, and that is exactly what I will do. Law and order has been a popular catchphrase for this president going back to the beginnings of his campaign in 2015. And it is not new, for he's following in the footsteps of disgraced president, former president Richard Nixon, who we know was a law and order president. As a matter of fact, H.R. Haldeman, a former White House chief of staff in 1969, said these words, and I quote, listen carefully. You have to face the fact that the whole problem is really the blacks. The key is to devise a system that recognizes this while not appearing so. These are not my words. These are not my words. The Nixon team took this seriously, and they tackled this challenge by adopting a strategy of law and order, which specifically and intentionally played to racist fears. You know, what I'm trying to help you understand is when you hear the president say, I am for law and order, what he's really doing, he's giving a dog whistle and a signal to those who understand what that language actually means. Dog whistles is a type of double talk used in politics, and they work by employing language that has normal meaning to everyone else, but can be implied or loaded to mean very specific things to certain people. Let me give you an example of a dog whistle. When you hear things like states' rights, whenever you hear people come out with things, politicians say things like states' rights, it's a dog whistle. How do you know it's a dog whistle? Well, you only need to look at what Nixon's Southern strategist, Lee Atwater, said back in 1981. He, he, here's what he said. He said, now, he used the N-word, which I'm not going to use in this message, but I want you to hear what he said. And this is recorded message. Lee Atwater said, you start out in 1954 by saying, N-word, N-word, N-word. Said it three times. By 1968, you can't say the N-word. That hurts you. It backfires. So you say stuff like forced busing, states' rights, and all that stuff. You're getting so abstract now. You're talking about cutting taxes. All these things you're talking about are totally economic things, and a byproduct of them is that blacks get hurt worse than whites. This is Lee Atwater. Listen, these are not my words. This is what he said. He says, you want to you wanna follow me because sitting around and saying things like, we want to cut this, is more abstract than even the busing thing and a hell of a lot more abstract than the N-word, N-word. That's what he says. So what I'm saying to you is that a dog whistle is a signal to people who understand that language. And when they use that language, they're appealing to a base that knows what it means, even though they didn't come, out, come right out and call you the N-word. Another example of dog whistles is when you hear people talk about all those on food stamps. It's a dog whistle. 
And these people are anti-patriotic. It's a dog whistle. When you hear things like they're angry or ungrateful, these are dog whistles. And how about send them back? These are dog whistles. And the worst dog whistle, if you don't even understand what I'm saying, is used even with a proper name. Whenever you would hear politicians, particularly on a certain network, say things like Barack Hussein Obama, what do you think they're doing? They're using his middle name as a dog whistle to make a point. Now, it's okay because it's his actual name, but when you use it in that way, it becomes a dog whistle to those who can hear what is being said or what is meant without actually saying it. Spirit of the living God, let those who have ears to hear, oh God, let them hear. These are dog whistles. So law and order is much about perception as it is about policy. And for centuries, this rhetoric has been used to intimidate black people, especially as it relates to even voting rights. Now, Donald Trump first used this phrase, law and order, back in 1990 in an interview after he had taken out a full-page ad calling for the death penalty of what we know today as a Central Park Five. And so while he didn't come out and call it by name, he used the term law and order as a signal to all the people who would know and understand what that means. This is what it said. In order to bring law and order back into our cities, we need the death penalty and authority given back to the police. That's a dog whistle. So my point is to cite law and order in our political discourse is a signal to every racist in America and the world, hear this, watch this, that the government will use the police and the military, if necessary, to get black people under control by force. That's it. All of what I've said before comes down to that one statement. The government will use the police and military, if necessary, necessary to get black people under control by force. So when you hear them say, I'm the president of law and order, what you need to hear is, I'm going to use the military and the police, if necessary, to get black people under control by force. It's a dog whistle, signaling to white people that the law, as they see it and understand it, is here to protect the rights and property of white people, and if you vote for the candidate of law and order, he will ensure that the law will be used to protect you from these animals. Let's keep it real. That's what law and order means. And when you hear it, my brothers and my sisters, it's a mousetrap. When you hear the term law and order being thrown around in the public discourse, it's a mousetrap. Oh, yes, it is. It's a mousetrap that the, president's is, the president is setting so that it can be used to inflict pain on the peaceful protesters, the, the marchers, and the special victims of police brutality. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, has something to say about this in his letter to the Roman church. Here's what it said in verse 9. Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. Jumping to verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Hear this. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. 
That's the Apostle Paul. Three things we need to take away from Paul's letter. Three things. Number one, the offense. Number two, the indictment. And number three, the verdict. The offense, the indictment, and the verdict. Three things we're going to take away from Paul's letter. First, the offense. Because of our sinful nature, yours and mine, Paul tells us that everyone, Jew, Gentile, Muslim, Protestant, Hindu, Mormon, Rastafarian, Asian, Canadian, Nigerian, American, Kenyan, or Scandinavian, everyone has turned away from God and is both useless and unrighteous. No one does good, not even one. That's what Paul is saying, all of you. So however you identify yourself racially, ethnically, creed, persuasion, whatever it is, you, however you identify yourself, Paul is saying, none of us, none of you are righteous, not even one. So you may think you're a good person because you help someone across the street or you're paying your tithes to a local church or you're giving to charity. I could care less what you do. Paul is saying you are still unrighteous and none is good, not even one. According to our scriptures, God gave Adam a very specific rule which was designed to regulate his actions and which would be enforced by the penalty of death. This was the law. So from the moment Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, our nature became corrupted and God's good and beautiful creation was rejected by God himself. So as far as the offense is concerned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and there is none that's righteous, not even one. That's the offense. Secondly, we have the indictment. This is where now formal charges based, based on the law uh, gets applied specifically to those to whom the law is given. The law was given to you and to me. And I'm talking about God's laws. Was given to you and to me. And none of us are exempt from the laws of God. But what you need to understand is that even within our own justice system, lawyers talk of aggravated crimes and they distinguished those crimes based on who they were committed against. Let me explain. If you commit a crime, a particular crime, against a public official, it's very different, the penalty, if you committed that very same crime against a private citizen. So in other words, a distinction is made in the law of this land based on to whom the offense was given. So you all know, you kill a person, you get what's coming to you. You kill a police officer, you get more than what is coming to you. That's my point. So in other words, to whom the offense was directed bears on how the penalty is meted out. This is the reason why sin is such a major and terrible thing for man. Because the sin, the offense, was not committed to your brother or your sister. The sin, the offense, was committed to God. And because it was committed to God, then it means that the indictment against you and me is nothing less than spiritual death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life. So my brothers and my sisters, hear me clearly. The, the indictment against every person who Paul says is all guilty before God, the indictment comes that you have to pay for your sin simply because it was an offense against God. That's what makes it so terrible. Adam and Eve, their crime was so heinous even to the point that the Bible tells us and Paul is telling us that even if today you decide to follow the law of God, it still can't help you. That's how bad sin is against God. That even if you decide, Lord, I'm going to love the Lord thy God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, what I'm telling you is it can't save you from the penalty because it's a sin against God. That's number two. First, we have the offense. Secondly, we have the indictment. And third, we have the verdict. The verdict is guilty. That's it. Guilty. Paul says that the purpose of the law is to keep people from having excuses. You've got no excuse. And so to show that, and, and, and also to show to the entire world that we are guilty before God. Your guilt and mine in the context of sin does not follow a hierarchy of offense. It doesn't mean that some people sin a little bit more than others. Therefore, you can get by. Oh, no, 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 no. There is no hierarchy of sin. You're either guilty or not. And you and I, we are all guilty. And because we are guilty, it doesn't matter if it's against a president a governor, a mayor, a city council, or a police officer. It, you got to understand that you are guilty and deserving of God's punishment. This is why the killing of George Floyd is appropriately being met with such outrage. You can't blow breath, therefore you can't take breath. This is something about God. This involves God. It doesn't involve your ability and your puny little laws and your puny little constitution. This involves God's law. And you can't blow breath, so you can't take breath. So when people are crying out, I can't breathe, they're not appealing to you to give them breath. They're appealing to God to give them justice. Justice is what we're looking for. We don't need any special treatments. We don't need you to curry favor with us just because of the color of our skin. We never asked for it. But what we are asking for is that the laws that you say protect life, liberty, and property, let it protect ours as well. Keep the playing field level. That's what we want. And we're appealing to God, not you. So get yourself off your high horse, Mr. President, City Council, Congress. Get yourself off your high horses. For every chant, I can't breathe, is an appeal and a prayer to God. Not to you. Lord, you gave us breath the breath of life that you breathe into our bodies and we became a living soul. There are those among us, demonic forces among us, that's taking our breath. Lord, we can't breathe. Do something, Lord. And he will. He will. That's Paul's letter. And so, my brothers and my sisters, I want you to understand that this is what Paul says. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing 
what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I went through all of that. Those three things that we highlighted in Paul's letter. Those three things. Why? Because I want to get to this point. The law and order rhetoric that you're hearing is a mousetrap. And in our story, the farmer set a mousetrap that he sought to use against his adversary, the mouse. But, but, but this mouse, this particular mouse, after witnessing 400 years of abuse and police brutality, this little lowly mouse recognized the racist bigotry and evil intent of the farmer and those within his political party. Oh, yes, he did. So the mouse marched into the street to warn the others and to protest about the danger of the dog whistle called law and order. You see, he was saying there's a law and order mousetrap. The little mouse went into the community and he went to all different groups of people. He went to all different animals on the farm saying there's a mousetrap in the house. There's a dog whistle. But the truth of the matter is, Everyone, the, everyone was, 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 was dismissing the mouse for all this time. The mouse in earnest, seeing the Lord and order mousetrap. He saw it being used against Mickey. He saw the mousetrap being used against Minnie. He saw the mousetrap being used against Martin and Malcolm and Marcus and Emmett and Philando and Alton and Ahmad and Brianna and Trayvon and Tamir. And he sought to warn everyone that there was a mousetrap in society. But, but the farmer had laid his law and order trap. But his trap backfired. For while he thought to use the trap to kill the mouse, he failed to see that the mousetrap would end up being his own undoing. Now church, I pray, I don't know if God is using me in this moment to speak prophetically. But here's what I want to say. When the mouse trap in the house trapped the snake instead of the mouse, when, 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 when it trapped the snake instead of the mouse, something happened that the farmer did not expect. He did not expect that the calamity would first come to those within his own household. Hear me, church. He didn't know that it would first come and affect those in his household. You see, the snake that it trapped bit the farmer's wife. He didn't expect the mousetrap to affect his household. He, he did not expect a protest by so many people of all colors and creeds protesting for more than 20 days. He did not expect that when he set his mousetrap. So, Mr. President, and I'm talking to you today, watch what you sow. For that which you sow, you may also reap. But then the second thing, the second thing is that not only did it come for those within his household, it also came for all those who said nothing after they had received the prophetic warning from the mouse. After the mouse had gone out into the farmyard and told everyone, the next thing that the trap did is it came after those who ignored the cry of the mouse when he said, mouse lives matter. They ignored the mouse. So, my prophetic message 
to all those white and some black evangelical chickens, pigs, and cows on the farm that thought the trap did not affect them and thought that their interest was in alignment with that of the farmer. Be wary, for judgment begins in the house of the Lord, and you best watch that you do not cast your pearls among swines. I'm speaking, oh God, spirit of living God, prophetically to this government and to those who call themselves the church. For when one of us is threatened, all of us are at risk. And each of our problems is of concern to another, whether we see it in this moment or not. Each of us is vital in this thing called life. And to discredit and diminish the value of the mouse, to discredit and diminish the value of any one of God's good creation puts you at risk with God. I'm reminded of a quote from late Pastor Martin Nimoller. He said this, and I quote, first, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then, they came for the trade unionists, but I did not speak out because I'm not a trade unionist. Then, they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then, they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Brothers and sisters, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you are the farmer in the story, whether you are his wife, whether you are the chicken, the pig, the cow, or even the mouse, we are all fallen. But while we are fallen, there is still hope. There is hope in how God dealt with sin. You see, God is perfectly loving, and he demonstrates this with his mercy. But it is also true that God is perfectly just, and he demonstrates this in the fact that he cannot let sin go unpunished. So God is a God of law and order. But God's law is based on love, and God's order is based on his love through Christ. Through Christ. So although God stands over and against us in judgment because of our sin, quite amazingly, he stands over us in his love because he's that kind of God. And the gospel is, is good news of what God has done in his love for all those of us who are in sin. God's love is expressed in what he has done in the person of Jesus Christ, especially Jesus' cross and his resurrection to deal with our sin and to reconcile us to himself. But because of sin, we, you and I, we became victims. But we became special victims because our participation is required in order to bring our perpetrator, Satan, to justice. This is why we must confess our sins. For if we confess our sins and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave, 
we shall be saved. And when you become saved, you join God's kingdom and you are now a permanent part of his special victims unit called the church. For, for what you need to know is that in the spiritual justice system, sin-based offenses are considered especially heinous. In the kingdom of God, the dedicated believers who investigate these vicious felonies are members of an elite squad called the Special Victims Unit or the church. These are our stories. Christ bore our sin on the cross. He bore the penalty. He turned aside God's judgment and wrath from us. He canceled our debt to sin, the brokenness of our lives. He restores the shattered relationships. He rebuilds and the new life, the new life that all human beings, regardless of color, race, or creed, find in Christ is granted out of his sheer grace. And this grace is received by faith as we repent of our sins and turn to Jesus and confess him as Lord. So if you are struggling and living in fear today and do not know where to turn, have no fear. Do not be afraid because Jesus paid it all and you are welcome to be a part of his special victims unit and you can receive that here today. May the Lord richly, richly bless you, my beloved.